It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wounded! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene! Run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you. You are here. And that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. It's the top of the week, which means it's time for more strange news. Now, unless you have been living deep, deep in the bowels of the Earth, or unless you are uh, an astronaut with a not great internet connection, you know that quite a few things have happened recently. A lot of those things aren't making the news. Uh, I would once again, I know I ruffled some feathers with this on the internet, but uh, once again, I want to point out that regardless of your take on a celebrity trial, there are other things happening. And unfortunately, they often get swept away in the news cycle and uh, for-profit media's constant search for clicks. 
That being said, we have things that are not celebrity trials that we would like to talk about today. Uh, we, we're going to tell you about a heist because we love a good heist. Um, this one has a religious, uh, religious aspect to it. Uh, we're going to look at the future of so-called artificial intelligence or machine consciousness in the world of cartoons. And we're going to talk about Uncle Sam's secret plans for when hits the fan. Uh, Whoa. <laughs> I that know, a accidental freestyle. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe maybe we can we can start there, you know, because we've got conspiracy realists in the family here from all across the planet, from every imaginable demographic. And one thing that we see uh, in common amongst all these people is a, a healthy distrust of their government, whether that's the U.S., whether that's, you know, the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, you name it, most of the average people on the planet – they're a little bit skeptical, right, when it comes to large power structures, and rightly so, I would say. We recently learned about something I was kind of aware of, but not, not super up to date on, concerning our own government here in the United States. Contingency plans, right? Imagine, you know, you're in charge of a country of... 330-something million people, and you know things can go wrong. Nuclear war, food supply disruptions, which we talked about previously, all sorts of things from like sci-fi stuff like a coronal mass ejection to um, basic human problems like the outbreak of secession, right, or widespread public dissent. In a recent article for the New York Times, Charlie Savage, one of my new favorite journalists, new to me at least, uh, broke the story just just a few days ago as we record that there have been some newly declassified, well, let me be fair, newly leaked documents that give us a little bit more visibility on top secret executive branch plans for any scenario you would possibly call apocalyptic. And this includes scary, scary stuff. This includes the institution of martial law in partial uh, deployment or across the country entirely. Uh, this includes stuff like, obviously, nuclear warfare, but it also includes the ability to do things like shut down communications networks, not just shut down the internet, like shut down phone lines if if you're not NORAD. Uh, and the scary thing about it is this stuff has been in development since at least the 1950s. Congress has zero input on it, which means that you have zero input on it, whether or not you vote, whether or not you consider yourself an activist. And I don't know, before we get into it, are you guys surprised at all by this, Matt? No? Not based on what we already kind of know with things like the Long Lines building in New York that we explored uh, several times. Um, essentially like a uh, government bunker beneath uh, the earth to house officials and, you know, with like long-term infrastructure and, uh, and supplies for waiting out a nuclear holocaust or apocalypse event. Also dealing with communications and, and reaching the outside world on that. Now, the part of this that's interesting to me is how it would affect us. You know, this isn't just like a panic room for the elite. This is something that would affect regular people, if I'm hearing you correctly. 
Well, yeah, ultimately it feels like the stuff we've learned about in the past where uh, if the president and, you know, the top brass are all eliminated in some disaster or attack, you know, where where do the presidential powers lie? We've talked about that before, like the chain of command or custody that power kind of goes down uh, much in the way, a, you know, a king or a queen's power goes down the line. Uh We've talked about that before, but it is, it's really interesting to me to know that there are secrets, uber secret, super secret plans that we will never know about for disasters that are probably likely like, I, I mean, we'll probably see something like this occurring uh, within the next, let's say, 100, 200 years. Assuming the U.S. is around. Yeah, that's I mean, that's that's a very good point, Matt. The. The stuff we do know, we being the public, comes from the 1950s and 60s versions of these draft emergency action orders. And they include stuff like, of course, different versions of martial law, but they also include stuff like uh, restricting the passage of information across the border. They also include stuff like suspending court hearings for people who are detained. So your legal rights would be curtailed. And right now, unless you are in the executive branch or involved in uh, the potential deployment of these things, we don't, you don't know. You don't know what the plan is. And I, I hate to say it, but there is some valid logic to that because if an enemy force, for instance, knew what your step-by-step -step plan was in case of, say, an attack, then they could modify their plan to address what, what your original steps were, and then you would be a fish out of water in a very dangerous way. Here's what we know. It comes from the Brennan Center for Justice, and they spent a lot of time cleverly writing FOIA Freedom of Information Act requests from the, to get documents from the Bush Presidential Library. The disclosure they got it rounds up to about 500 pages, which sounds really impressive. Until you realize 6,000 more pages were withheld from their request and kept classified. And we only really get these um, disclosures on the heels of something called the Protecting Our Democracy Act. This was a bill that passed in December, and it's meant to kind of nerf as we would say in the gaming world, nerf the powers of the executive branch uh, due to controversial activities of the previous administration under the Trump presidency. This bill is not expected to pass the Senate <laughs> because for anybody outside of the U.S., the House of Representatives can pass all kinds of stuff. And then it goes to like the 50 most powerful politicians and they get to decide whether or not it happens. Um, you can write to them if you want. Your mileage may vary. Tell us how it works out. But this <laughs> this stuff is fascinating to me because it's like, it's as if we can glean a little bit from reading metadata. We know, for instance, things that have happened in the past due to these presidential emergency action documents or PIDs. PADs. Uh, I think, I don't know if they say P E A D S or just PADs. I hope they go with PADs. It's so much more fun. Makes me think of getting pwned or pew pew. 
Yeah. And it just seems like they peed on the entire the constitution. Yeah, that is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So let me give you a sense of how in-depth at least some of the older ones were. There was one from 1959 that said, here's what we do if the Soviet Union attacks the U.S. with nuclear weapons. And they break it down, but then they also start estimating how many people might survive. Like they have numbers and they base their actions off those numbers. And then they also start making policy prescriptions uh, on how to preserve the economy, how to also, you know, get people to places, get VIPs to places like the Greenbrier Bunker, which you had mentioned uh, just a minute ago, Noel. And the, the big issue, we know sometimes national security, even though it's a such a boogeyman. We know sometimes it is necessary, but the big issue here is that Congress doesn't know either. Congress doesn't know what these piads are. They're getting piatted on too. And there's a huge concern for your elected representatives if you live in this country. Uh, I would like to point to Senator Edward J. Markey from Massachusetts. And he says, quote, it's our duty as lawmakers to demand that the executive branch turns over documents so Congress, as representatives of the American people, can evaluate the constitutionality of any future president's attempts to exploit an emergency to assume extraordinary powers. And that is a mission-critical concern, because uh, as Littlefinger said in Song of Ice and Fire, Game of Thrones, chaos is a ladder. And when we are, like, there's a reason— wartime presidents are more likely than not to do well in the polls. There's also a reason that some bills in times of emergency are passed without oversight, you know, like all the controversy around loans given out to um, political hench folk and various connected businesses during, during the pandemic. I'm startled. You know, I, I can't imagine how many directives actually exist. Thanks to the good folks at the Brennan Center, we know there were 48 secret plans when the uh, George W. Bush administration took office. And then a few years later, by 2008, that number had grown to 56. So they're adding stuff. And uh, President Dick Cheney, Vice President Dick Cheney, da-da-da-da, thanks, mm -hmm. Matt, uh, was, <laughs> was heavily evolved involved in reviewing and clearing the orders. He was the green light for the, uh, he, he was the decision maker or the decider as ah. former President Bush would say. Yeah. And uh, this, this stuff expanded after the attacks on September 11th. And it's therefore reasonable to assume that they expanded uh, in the wake of the pandemic, uh, maybe expanding due to food supply. One thing we can say about governmental powers like this is that they always seek to expand. It doesn't matter who is elected or who's sitting in, in the Oval Office at the time, and it doesn't matter what they say about big or small government. When it comes to their, you know, their piece of the yard, they want more territory. And that's, that's what we're looking at. So as conspiratorial as it sounds, it is absolutely possible that five years from now, 10 years from now, two years from now, who knows, 
one of these PIDs could come into effect, either through a proclamation, a message to Congress, an executive order, and it will affect you. And you could protest, but you can't vote about it. And at this point, we're going to pause because I I think this is a full episode. If we can um, finagle a little more classified information as as is our uh, remit on this show. Uh, And while we pause, as we go to a commercial break, I want to ask you, fellow conspiracy realists, do you think this sort of secrecy is inherently bad or inherently good? Do you think it is a necessary evil? What do you think the plan is? Is there a scenario for, say, an alien attack? The rise of the undead? I hope so. Because like saying peds instead of P-E-A-D-S, it would just be a little more exciting. That's Gallo's humor for you. All right, we're going to pause. We'll be right back. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way. Knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with the Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, A military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, it's 
start having sex and then he's very vulnerable so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, we'll boot it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Jin. and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back with another piece of uh, pretty freaking strange news um, from the world of children's entertainment. Sort of. Kind of. Uh, have you guys ever heard of an artist by the name of David O'Reilly? I have. Super no. interesting fellow. Um, if you go to his Instagram, which I highly recommend everybody do immediately and give him a follow, he is sort of a culture jamming uh, outsider artist weirdo that is um, practicing AI assisted or fully generated art. And, you know, sort of like in the early days of electronic music where, you know, the suits and the squares uh, might say, that's not real music. Yeah, I got a machine making it for you. Well, you know, that's clearly someone who doesn't understand how electronic music is made. You have machines that are tools, but you feed them input. Um, and this isn't even referring to like generative music, like what Brian Eno might do, where you feed the uh, machines some sort of algorithm that you create, and then it uh, follows a certain set of criteria to make a certain type of music um, that will just continue to you know regenerate itself over time. That's used in video game production a lot for you know ambient kind of drones that sort of like adapt to certain criteria that uh, happen in the in the scene or in the in the in the level or the game um, that is kind of what David O'Reilly is doing he's using AI technology to create some pretty nightmarish and entertaining pieces of uh, of art um, one that I really like from his page is he uh, has a he has a, uh, a kind of a remix or a reinterpretation of Tupac Shakur's changes but um, made using AI. Uh, and in fact, it says at the very beginning, produced by Big D, The Impossible, written by Tupac Shakur, Dion Evans, Bruce Hornsby, and written and produced by AI uh, with the prompt, the Tupac song changes, but about AI. And if you guys know, it's probably one of Tupac's most famous songs. The lyrics become, I see the changes. I see all the robots, lifeless eyes staring at me with broken dreams. I think about the future and it frightens me. I'm starting to lose faith in humanity. All I see is screens and code. We used to have connection. Now we're all alone. The effects of tech are starting to show. Machines talking over and it's hard to let go. People suffering on the minimum wage with billionaires fight to control this new age. Everyone desperate to make a 
quick buck and it's moving so fast i can't keep up i wonder when we'll all be free from this misery from the grip of technology uh and this is created by technology and the video behind it is like kind of deep dreamified tupac uh, you know his mouth is moving in, in in concert with these new weirdo lyrics um so that's the kind of stuff that david o'reilly's into the latest news uh, from this artist is that he has used AI to create essentially like a supercut or kind of a trailer for a um, a children's cartoon called Bartak, uh, and he posted this trailer on his Instagram account, and this is what he said. Thrilled to announce Bartak, the first fully animated show coming to Disney Plus this summer, using the awesome power of AI to create the perfect kids' entertainment. A full season order of 75,000 episodes is now being generated. Uh, and then like a little a DNA emoji. Enjoy this sneak peek. All you Bartok stands out there, let me know what kind of merch you'd like to see. Thanks to OpenAI Doll for making this dream a reality. So definitely some, some tongue-in-cheek stuff going on there. Highly doubt Disney Plus has anything to do with this. Wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole after you, uh, you hear what it's, what it's all about and then hear some audio from it that we're going to play. Uh, not to mention the, the idea of generating 75,000 episodes certainly could be done uh, if you're just churning out you know, stuff based on input to, a, to an AI, but I um, also kind of doubt that that's what's going on here too. Um, what you get in Bartak is... It's as if you fed children's cartoons, kind of European uh, children's cartoon style animation into Deep Dream. You know, remember Deep Dream, that, uh, al- you know, that, that Google-based algorithmic kind oh, of, yes. yeah. Uh, art, I still play with it. It's fun. Art generator. I mean, it, it's basically like, you know, it was applied to video where it essentially looks like, you know, everything is, is, is made of lizards or everything is made of like weird psychedelic dog snouts you know essentially i think ben maybe help me out here if, if you uh if you remember more um isn't it like it sort of takes a swatch kind of of an image and compares it to what the prevailing like most popular image that sort of looks like that is on the internet and then essentially like recreates it using textures from that image is that right yeah the proper like fancy term is a convolutional neural network and it uses this uh, algorithmic approach to enhance what it's, what it thinks of as existing patterns. So that's why, you know, if you have a, if you have a, like a lot of people would take selfies, right. Or maybe at, at the very first, they were taking pictures of their romantic partners until they realized said partners might not always enjoy the end result. Uh, it, there's a great article on how stuff works by Nathan Chandler that talks about how deep dream, how deep dream actually functions. And it's doing basically what you describe. It locates and alters patterns that it has identified. It kind of leans into visual trends, you could say. And that's why, I, I don't know, deep dream is so fun. I'm going to go back and experiment with uh, more of it here. Yeah, so thank you. That's exactly, that's a much uh, clearer uh, uh, description there. I think between the two of us, we got it on the nose. Um, So this is different, though, because it looks like it's like original animation. There's characters, you know, and I don't know exactly. This this dude doesn't really talk about his process, but it seems to me like he must have drawn some animation plates of some kind. There's not, they don't move. 
they only move based on the kind of that same deep dream kind of snaky lizardy uh interpretive kind of like stuff and um, of course there's also an accompanying soundtrack and and dialogue uh if you can call it that um so let's let's just hear a little bit of it and then we can we can discuss Bartak, Bartak. Now there are no captions. Yeah, this. no, no. I think it's all it's the theater of the mind. It's sort of like the language Sigur Rós uses, uh, the Hopelandic or whatever. Like it's all about how you want to interpret it. But you hear the name Bar Bartak Bartak. Plop, 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 plop. Yeah, yeah. Oh, mean, that was a name? Bartak is the name of the character, apparently. And if you look at it, I mean, there does appear to be some hand-drawn components that are then kind of squishified, you know, by this deep dream kind of stuff. But then it also, there's some characters that just seem like no human. I mean, I don't, not, not to discredit the, the magical powers of the human mind, but there are some of these weird little alien guys that look like an animated version of the kind of stuff deep dream generates. So I want to know more. There really isn't much out there aside from this. This guy's, you know, putting this out there. He's sort of a notorious troll um, in the best possible way. Like, you know, in terms of like some of the things he said about, you know, doing 75,000 episodes and all that stuff. But like, I don't know what what how this process works exactly like like i'll read a little bit more from the from the vice article uh they, they describe o'reilly as a 3d artist who's well known for creating disturbing animations um he claims to have used something called doll e and other natural language processing systems which you know can create almost like you know facsimiles of things that we would recognize you know which which this sort of does but then it like takes a really weird dark psychedelic turn um other systems that we've talked about on the show like gpt3 which are used with chatbots to create kind of realistic you know um reactions um but also uh, oh, and they also mentioned in the vice article that, that this can be used to create uh, kind of AI choose your own adventure kind of dungeon crawler type text adventures. Um, but we've also seen stories about how these kinds of AI tend to have some pretty gnarly sexist and racist uh, stereotypes built into them because they are pulling from the open internet, you know, in the same way that, what was it? That, uh, what was that? That, that Microsoft Twitter bot, you know, just got real racist mm-hmm. real quick. Um, Game a neo-Nazi mm-hmm. incel in a little less than 24, 24 hours. 24 hours. And the, the, the writer, by the way, of this uh, this Vice article is uh, Janice Rose. And I love it. The, the headline is, AI created this extremely cursed children's cartoon. If anyone, you know, follows internet culture, which I'm sure most of you do, the idea of a cursed image is, is a thing, like in, in, meme, in meme culture. Uh, and this would definitely fall under that, uh, no question. But the subtitle which I love and which I think will be a nice transition into Matt's piece is every day we stray further from God's light, implying that these are in some way abominations from like beyond, uh, you know, from the realms beyond 
the lands between, if you will. Um, but yeah, it says as a weird art project from the article, O'Reilly's use of this tool seems relatively benign. However, and his fans seem to be in on the joke. Here's a, uh, an Instagram commenter. Uh, it's really inspiring to see how well Bartok has helped my kids understand the world around them and, and taught me how to be a better parent. My kids are so much smarter as a result. You want to see the excitement in their eyes, especially at the hands of a show like this. So, uh... You know, more weirdo counterculture art kind of culture jamming stuff or the future of children's entertainment. Uh, you be the judge. But, yeah, pure nightmare fuel is all I can call it. I, that's exactly what I would call it. And hilarious. Totally. No, it I mean, I was laughing. I could not stop laughing hearing those sounds, at least. Mm -hmm. So we should reuse those in some way. I completely agree. Something good has come of this. Yes, no doubt. No doubt. Uh, but a fun little one um, on the lighter side in, in a pretty heavy news cycle. Um, so take this and, and do with it what you will. Hopefully we'll see more of this kind of stuff. Uh, I, I personally love this kind of use of AI for making interesting art um, as opposed to using it to try to like mind control us or, you know, uh, program our, our future robot overlords. So with that, let's take a quick break and we'll be back with another piece of strange news. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. Just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent 
telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately eleven million dollars. Nearly ten million dollars was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, season five, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. And for this story, we're going to get a bit holy, and we're also going to get close, maybe too close, to our own mission control, Paul Deccant. We're traveling to Brooklyn, New York, to the neighborhood of Park Slope, right near a very, very famous park, a beautiful park, called Prospect. A Prospect Park. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love uh, it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And just northwest of this gorgeous park in Brooklyn, New York, there is the Notre Dame of the area, as it is known by the locals. Uh, it is a Catholic church, very beautiful building. It's it's named the St. Augustine Roman Catholic Church. And I say it's beautiful because the architecture is just immaculate. It dates back to 1888. The 19th century, the old 1800s, the fighting 18s. Inside this church, as beautiful as it is and as uh, ornate as the architecture is, uh, there are all kinds of relics and I guess architectural features that date back to when the church was first formed. And one of the relics inside this church is a tabernacle. Now, guys, what do you think of when I say tabernacle? Ooh, I think of Mormons. I think of Mormons. I think of uh, a venue in Atlanta. But uh, yeah, that's but, all I. That's all I but think it's, about. It, it, podium? Is it like a like a like something that you stand by, like a you know a pulpit? I've never fully understood what it's snackle is. Oh, it I, seems I have, like it could be that, but that's not have, what it is. I have to stop real quick, though, because I believe the correct term is LDS or Latter-day Saints. So for anybody of that faith in the crowd, I understand that saying Mormon is sometimes can be found offensive, but that's obviously not what we mean. I thought a tabernacle, I knew it was a a structure, and I think in old, old religious tomes, it can also not necessarily be stationary, like it can be movable. 
Yes, does that matter? That is one of, yes, it does matter. It, all, the, all of it matters, guys. Um, the tabernacle, and I did not know this until I read this story, is the thing, a physical structure. Oftentimes it is mobile because it's usually necessary. It contains the Holy Eucharist, ah. the stuff that you need to uh, administer and take communion. So we're talking, you know, the physical forms of Jesus's body and blood. Uh, if, if you're going to take the Holy Sacrament of communion. So that would be wine and crackers or bread, whatever is used in that particular faith. In this case, I'm assuming it's the cracker like structures that are used in Holy Communion in the Catholic Church, um, and also all the accoutrement that comes with that, like chalices that would contain the wine when you're giving it out, and often some kind of platter that would hold the crackers or bread or whatever you're giving out. So this thing, this tabernacle, is literally a mobile holder of food. Really, that's what it is. Well... This one is very special. As I said, it's a relic from the 1800s, probably dating back to 1888. At least that's what's claimed when this church was first founded. This thing is solid 18 karat gold. It's covered, absolutely covered in jewels and all kinds of other precious stones. And it is valued at around $2 million. Oh, uh, question. That, that mm-hmm. value, though... That value probably doesn't explain the full worth of it to the um, the Catholic community, to the diocese, and to you know the faithful, right? I imagine oh, no, it's, it's beyond cash. Absolutely, the history of the church. I mean, you're talking about a relic that's been around since the late 1800s where people of the Catholic faith who were living in that area, you know, they were going there and have been going to that church for. I mean, that's over a century. That's years and years and years. And so this thing is precious uh, for historical reasons, for actual monetary you know, reasons, for the precious things it's made out of, uh, and also for the holiness, right? This is, it does contain, theoretically, if you believe, the body and blood of Jesus that is used in a holy sacrament. So this thing is protected. When the church is open, this thing sits kind of, uh, back in a little, I guess, a, a cubby hole of sorts that is also very ornate. What's an and altar, right? It sits on display. It's on a, it's on an altar, but it's inside kind of uh, an enclosure, right? Almost like a little mini cave. Is that the ombre, that little alcove? Is that what that's called? Oh, sure. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> but, <laughs> I, I, I'll, I'll check. I'll check. I just, I, I collect all these um the the Catholic faith has this beautiful uh, nomenclature. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, uh, like, I think like the, the nave, maybe right? I believe that's another mm-hmm. one. The nave, the the um, the thurible is the name for the incense things. Uh, in oh, what's the other? Oh, and transubstantiation. Yes, that's that the magical yeah. process in which the the, the the materials that Matt has described become. Physically, you know, in the body, the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. The literal. Yes. But I, I do think it's ombre. I, I myself am not a member of the Catholic faith, but I, I do believe that that kind of cupboard we're talking about yes. might be an ombre. Well, let's just, it's the ombre, this opening that's kind of, uh, it's curved or the back of it is a bit curved, it looks like, and it sits inside there. So imagine in your mind looking at an altar 
And inside this little alcove, there's this beautiful golden shiny thing. And to protect it, they have a very specialized security system that involves two steel, I guess they're curved doors that close in front of this thing when the church is closed or when the when the tabernacle is not on display. And they it looks very heavy duty. You can see pictures of it online right now if you check it out. It looks like it protects this thing as though it's the Mona Lisa, like some very expensive painting. It's it's a piece of art, it's a piece of history. They protect it as mm-hmm. such. Well, as of Saturday, May 28th, this thing has been stolen. Guys, this is one of the most brazen acts of thievery that I have seen in many a year. Someone went into this church with a power saw, it is believed, and cut open those steel doors that we were talking about. Didn't just like pry them open or something or break that mechanism. There's a picture. They cut those. Yeah. yeah. They cut through those steel doors. They took the tabernacle out. Uh, I guess in doing so in the process or just in another equally brazen act through all the contents of the tabernacle, the actual Eucharist, the body and blood just kind of threw it out and threw it all over the altar there, uh, then took it away and stole it. But that's not all they did, guys. You know what else they did? They took the power saw or whatever they had and they cut the head off an angel. Whoa. Just what? like when am when am I gonna be here again style? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I was thinking about this really hard, you guys. This is my theory. We're talking about a three person job. Mm-hmm. One person was the brains, the inside person. They knew exactly where everything was in the church and how expensive it was and theoretically what they needed to do to get it. The second person was either a welder or someone who, you know, had the tools to get the job done. And the third person was the wild card. And I think that wild card just like had saw the power, saw, saw the angel and just went, Woo, we got to do this and just went to town. It's like that scene in The Sopranos when like uh, AJ and his buddies are breaking into the school and they're swimming. And then all of a sudden one of them is like, hey, let's just throw all the trophies in the pool. Then one person does and then everyone else just goes hog wild. You know, it's just chaos magic. Yeah. Or Charlie, uh, Charlie Day. I I think Mm -hmm. that whenever there's a wild card reference, just eventually cutting the brakes on the van. And then, you know, imagine this team is in a hurry and they say, we have to go. What are you doing? And the guy said, hold on. I'm almost finished. I'm almost finished. Yeah. This angel was looking uh, at me funny. (laughs) And it's, you know, I'm thinking too about the noise. Right? Would this yeah. have been? Th- this would not have been a, a silent operation by any means. So I wonder how long it actually took. The church was closed for construction, so I wonder if maybe there was some, you know, plausibility in the neighborhood that, like, oh, maybe they're doing some after-hours construction. Does, does, is it clear Quite what possibly. time this took place, Matt? And, and the, it the is dead not of clear what time. Okay. There's Sometime- no security footage. Yeah, they do not know. They just know it was before the 28th because that's when it was discovered by Father Termino. And they're they it is believed that it took place on Friday, May 27th. That's like, I guess, the most likely scenario. There's this excellent AP article that you shared with us by Michael R. Sizak. 
uh, where it looks like they were guessing sometime between sometime like after 630 on that Thursday and before four on that Saturday. So with Friday being the most likely, that kind of makes sense. I'm also wondering, you know, the it's clearly just a a money job with an extra um, extra dash of disrespect, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, because, I mean, churches get vandalized or buildings get vandalized all the time. Um, but that usually just involves spray painting or, you know, knocking over some stuff or whatever. This is like a next level uh, heist that also involves some next level vandalism. Yeah, absolutely. So you got to find everybody who's got a power saw in the Gowanus and Park Slope area. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. It's probably not. In, that's probably not a local job unless because the church is under construction. You know, somebody it just noticed it. Yeah. I don't know, job. maybe. Mm. I don't know. Who's to say? It's well, a little thought thing. out to be a crime of opportunity, though. Like I agree. Impulse crime, I mean. Wonder if the power saw was on site. I see what you're saying, Ben, but I just do wonder if it was under construction. You know, sometimes they leave they leave uh, this kind of... They would have had to know where the thing was, though. So it would have been... I don't know, man. The more I'm thinking about it, the more maybe it was someone that was on the construction team. Who had access or it to could the be equipment. someone. I think multiple operators seems really plausible. I'm with you, Matt, because they, the inside thing uh, sounds increasingly plausible too, because they clearly knew what they were going for. And there was also a, um, a safe, right? That was broken into. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I forgot about that. They broke into a safe that, you know, appeared to be, again, filled with stuff you'd want to take. Probably it's a nice big safe. It's locked up. There was nothing in that sucker, at least according to the statement uh, that was given by the Diocese of Brooklyn. Oh, man, you guys, I, this was something uh, you brought up off air, Noel. Like, what do you do once you have this thing? Let's say you successfully break in, you cut the thing open decapitate the angel take the two million dollar thing what do you do with it now Ooh, private art market that's the best way to launder stuff check out our episode <laughs> possible or do you just melt it down for the raw materials because i mean that two million well, maybe mm. is more referring to like it's you know uh, the value of the stones and the gold and all of that because you can't really put a price on you know generations of of, of history and tradition right well that's the thing I mean, it's big. It's a lot of solid gold. It's a lot of jewels. You could theoretically break the sucker down, but the real value is in the in the history the of, it. of it. So all it, it does feel like if there are brains behind this operation, you would want to find a way to sell it at its highest price. But you can't right? just repaint it. Like people are going to know it's a it's a one of a kind item. You got to just take it like to, you know overseas, I guess, and hope that no mm-hmm. one catches a glimpse of it. To your point, Ben, maybe some sort of private collector who would never have any outside eyes in their you know uh, their maybe gallery. Maybe they sent someone, but it doesn't. Yeah. Maybe they sent someone. Also, we can't when we're talking about the extra, the added sort of disrespect. Uh, we cannot deny the ongoing intergenerational damage uh, done by some some factions of the Catholic Church against children. So it may be someone with a literal axe to grind, well, a power saw in this case, for a, a personal matter. And I'm just speculating. I don't have, you know, any evidence here. I haven't been in contact with the police or anything. But the 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 idea of melting it down 
yeah, it, it dramatically lowers the value. And also, if you're smart enough, you know that if you melt it down and you just try to sell it as gold or uh, precious gemstones at going market rate, then you're taking a bath, you know, like the, you're not going to make near as much money as no, you that's could. That's a good point. It's a good point. I just don't know how you successfully fence something like this unless it was to some somebody who did have an axe to grind. And this was an act of protest in some small way or, or, or large way. Um, and this was built for this church, right? This isn't like an example of like, maybe, you know, how so many artifacts in like the British Museum were pilfered from other cultures. This isn't that, right? This wasn't like taken from some other culture and, and put on display in this American church. It was built for uh, the church. I, I'm asking. I, I believe know. so. The Diocese of Brooklyn just says it was built in the late 1800s. It dates back to when the church was built. Well, what if so, it's an example of somebody uh, taking it back? I, we don't know the history. Uh, all we know is what's in these articles. Wait. Like the va- it was Vatican operators that came over. I don't know, man. What? Just spitball in here. <laughs> and they, dude, that's the perfect place. You just put it in the archives, right? And nobody and can get unless into anyway. somebody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, unless somebody knows that it's there, they'll never see it again. Oh, the Vatican secret archives. I still think it's about the perfect that plan. Yeah, especially because it's so uncomplicated. <laughs> yeah, I feel like if the Vatican wanted a thing, they could just be like, yo, give us the thing. They are behold- the you, thing. Are, you are beholden to us. So I'm interested in learning more about the history of that as well, because it's not, it's probably on their website. You could even call, well, you want to be careful with timing. I, I could call them today and ask about it, but it's like, read the room at that point. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, let's give it a few more days. It's June 2nd right now as we record this. This just occurred. We're going to find out more information. In the end, this story is not stuff they don't want you to know. Besides the fact that people are breaking into holy places and stealing things out of them. That seems like, guys, uh, I don't know. That was a, a bridge too far, even for the most seasoned organized criminal for a very long time. I feel like we're breaching... We're, we're broaching something, guys. I think people have, I mean, it's classic human. People have historically been very protective of the belief system with, with which they personally identify. But if it's another person's belief system, then they don't care. I mean, look at the yeah. look at the sacking of all the ancient civilizations throughout history. Zero exceptions. At some point, everyone got got. Yeah, it's a really good point. Uh, just, you know, hide your tabernacles better from now on, everybody. I have one question for you, Matt. <laughs> yeah. Why'd you do it? Well, you monster. honestly, <laughs> there were just so many ports around. Uh-huh. The park was a perfect place to hide it temporarily. Nobody's looking in Prospect Park for a tabernacle. Super unfamous uh, park. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can, can we just say too, just one last thing? I think we we hit on this, or you hit on this map, but maybe not quite hard enough. Um, the the there was no surveillance footage because the tapes were stolen, or or it yes. was tampered with in some way. Am I right? Or I just want to make sure I'm understanding that. Of uh, there, it's there's some reporting on that. I'm a little unsure. The official statements that we're getting from the church itself, and then from the diocese, uh, talking about how there was no. Uh, 
footage and then statements that were given to the NYPD about why there is no footage. I'm unsure if it's because of the construction or because of, you know, some malfunction with the security system or if the tapes were, in fact, stolen. I'm just unsure because I've seen different things written about it. I know it's been it has been said that the tapes were, in fact, stolen or the security system was tampered with. I think we're all in agreement that this was, to some degree, a pretty pro job. I think it was a pro job. It seems like it. Yeah, it seems like it. I mean, just... you know, you have to realize that in in heists like this, especially involving powerful forces, right? And make no mistake, you know, uh, this not for nothing is this Notre Dame of Brooklyn, right? Uh, their their thefts reports are going to be treated differently from say an average person in their apartment reporting a crime. So this means, in my mind, it is very reasonable to assume that both the diocese and the police have information they're withholding. That's just a standard operating procedure there. Uh, And, you know, we don't know about DNA, probably searching for that. Don't know about fingerprints, but this crew sounds like they were wearing gloves. It's easy to make mistakes, even if you're a seasoned pro, but uh, these folks are clearly trying to do their their criminal version of due diligence. I wonder if it'll get found, you know? It's just, it's almost like a missing person. A ticking clock starts once something like this yeah. gets stolen. And if you can hold it long enough and cover your tracks, then you can get away until you try to fence it or move it. That's when they get you. Because what if what if they're ordinarily a moral contact for moving this? Turns out to have deep Catholic roots. You know what I mean? Yeah, what if, just opens the crate when he's like, just stares at it for too long, mm-hmm. and then looks back at them and just says, "Perfect, we'll take it." Closes the box slowly. And then the next thing those guys know, that's the sound of a silencer. Nice. I mean. Tragic. Well, I think we we could say one of our main takeaways from this is regardless of your own personal ideologies or lack thereof, don't break into religious sites and steal their stuff. Come on. Doesn't this feel like the the impetus for a Dan Brown-esque religious heist kind of story? Like this is where it starts and then someone sent in, you know, a Vatican investigator sent in and it turns out there's much more than meets the eye to this case. Oh, yeah, there are codes written in the area of the angel's neck where it was decapitated. They were hidden there the whole time. Which no one but the protagonist and everybody reading can figure out. And so, like, (laughs) uh, it also reminds me of John Connolly. I got really into this guy recently. He's got an excellent um, noir crime supernatural series called the uh, Charlie Parker series, no relation to the musician. But if you are looking for a, if you're looking for some good reads in that kind of vein, if the sort of stuff interests you, but you prefer it to be fiction, I'd recommend Connolly as well. I can't wait till his next book comes out. Well, that's it for this one. Uh, Stay safe out there. Protect your tabernacles. And uh, (laughs) that concludes this section of the show. Yes, protect your tabernacles. I think that's a new slang we can start. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Get out of my – why are you all up in my tabernacles? You know what I mean? Uh, So (laughs) we we want to hear your thoughts on this. I'm already writing in my head just like the the blurb at the back of the book, you know, where it says – 
while closed for renovations, Brooklyn's Notre Dame had a priceless artifact stolen. The thieves left no fingerprints, except for, insert protagonist name here, who discovers through a series of arcane clues a conspiracy leading all the way to the Ark of the Covenant in Ethiopia. You know, read the book that the author's mother called Finally Done. So, <laughs> a perfectly but, uh, acceptable romp. Mm-hmm. The Germans Whoa, call wait, it guys. severely adequate. What if this thing is the Ark of the Covenant? We just had it, you know, it was concealed well, the whole time. Uh, I was Googling Ark of the Covenant while we were talking about the story because I was like, you know, what is an ark versus a tabernacle? And they're different, but they're both meant to house sacred relics. So they're not that mm-hmm. different. Yeah. I'm just saying, what if it was obfuscation over all these years? They made they wanted you to think it was an Ark of the Covenant, but it was actually a tabernacle of the covenant. Dun, dun, dun. I'll have to get over to... Uh Ethiopia and see if I can get into that building. That would make these thieves the raiders of the Lost Ark. The Lost Tabernacle, which might be enough to keep us from getting sued. Uh, what do you think, folks? Uh, let us know. We want to hear uh, We want to hear what you think might be afoot with this heist. We want to hear what you think about the future of artificial intel, well, so-called artificial intelligence. Uh, and we also want to hear what you think about these piads, these secret presidential orders that not even your congressperson has access to? What are you going to do when? Uh, what are you going to do when the tabernacle hits the fan? Let us know. We try to be easy to find online. That's right. You can reach out to us in numerous ways on the internet uh, via Facebook, where you can join our group. Here's where it gets crazy. You can also hit us up on Twitter uh, and also find our YouTube channel. All of these exist under the handle Conspiracy Stuff on Instagram. We're conspiracy. Stuff show. If you do not like social media, why not use your phone and give us a call? Our number is 1-833-STDWYTK. When you call in, please give yourself a nickname, make it as cool or as weird as you want. Uh, you've got three minutes after that. You can say anything you want. We do ask that you include whether or not we can use your message and voice on the air. And if none of that quite does it for you, why you can reach out to us the old-fashioned way with a good old email where we are conspiracy at iheartradio.com stuff they don't want you to know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at, at first, first listen. listen. This season... 
We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful. Because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. Breathing. Right now? Yes, absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.